Hey, I'm Mark Ross. This is uh, Chad Munitz, longtime friend. Uh, I was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. Known each other. Oh my God, man. More than a decade. Yeah. More than a few decades. Um, And we decided for 2022, because there's not enough podcasts in the world to do one more podcast. We're going to meet, I guess, what, every other week and uh, kind of talk about commerce and culture, what's happening in the world. Um, I talk about stuff. Chad actually builds stuff. He loves the Matrix. I hate the Matrix. So that's the show. Chad, you got any thoughts? You're going to need to learn. You got to learn to love the Matrix because the metaverse is coming. It's the original example of the metaverse. I'm still confused on the uh, red pill, blue pill thing. I know it's important, <laughs> but uh, I guess I'm a blue pillar if I haven't seen The Matrix. Is yeah, that right? Am yeah, I saying yeah. that right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about three or four topics and um, just have a good little chat. Who's that? Was your agent calling you? to like yeah, my agent. Renegotiate? Or my hey, sister, so our, same thing. Our first topic, how to dress. And Chad, you're a man of fashion, and you know I think we're both kind of interested in this space. And um, listen, man, I don't know how to dress today. Like, I went to dinner last night for the first time in a while. Didn't know what the hell to wear. I haven't worn a suit. I maybe worn a suit once in two years. Um, I actually wore a tie last night, which I thought was kind of cool. But I don't know. Like, what is happening? How how are we supposed to dress? It is it is a different world out there. Um, part of it is showing our age. I, I actually wore a suit without a tie yesterday for a meeting for the first time and since COVID, uh, so two years. Did you feel guilty the, not wearing a tie? I did. It felt <laughs> odd. And we were actually given dress code, like don't wear a tie from, from the company that we were going in to, to pitch to. Uh, they specifically said, don't wear a tie. You can actually wear jeans if you want. Uh, folks on our end will be in jeans. So they told you what to wear. Do you think they did that as a courtesy just to make, make your life easier or? No, I think they did it as a courtesy. Um, yeah. They, That's interesting. They did, you know, we, we, we would have came in with suits and ties. That's, that's my generation, I guess, we're getting to. You go to an important meeting, you want to show off your best. Um, it's, you know, I, it was starting way before COVID. Uh, we've had summer interns who've complained drastically at our company that all their other friends go to places and are allowed to wear flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> flip-flops. <laughs> well, in DC, and, uh, you know, there's still, I mean, the tie still is like super important. You know, I think there's obviously a lot of attorneys, lawyers here, a lot of, you know, former high school class presidents. And it does seem to be, you know, and obviously Capitol Hill and the White House, you know, suit heavy, but yeah, these day-to-day meetings and then obviously getting so much casual people working from home more and more, um, how's that going to change? I mean, in some ways, yeah, I think you're spot on. Like everything's getting more casual anyways, and there's more the rise of the athleisure and performance wear, even in business attire. But um, flip-flops, I don't know, man. That seems like a, bri- a bridge too far. It, it seems like it. And, you know, what's what's weird about it is I think creating your style and being able to have individuality about things is important as a human. And uh, it's all just blending into homogenous things. It's hard to find people who care about that, who stand out, even if your style is simplicity, like you know, get a black sweatshirt on. Um, it's just fallen away. Well, I think it's, um, and the, one of the pods you turned me on to actually was this, uh, The Laws of Style by Douglas Han. And uh, he interviewed Karen Dilley, which I thought was really interesting because of the rise of 
you know, like based on what I talk about fast fashion and like the impact that's having. And um, I know you're a big fan of Billy Reed and, you know, I'm a big fan of like Sid Mashburn and guys like that. And, you know, there's obviously a premium, I think, now to buy better quality stuff that's going to last longer and not have a quick shelf life from stuff that, uh, you know, say H&M and stuff. What, what are you seeing around like fast fashion and the impact on that? Do you, are you seeing people buying better quality stuff or? Well, I, I think in general, people are buying better quality stuff, um, buying less things and more quality lasts longer. <clears throat> but I see the youth and I've got a you know seven year, seventh grade, almost 13 year old daughter. Uh, they don't like the fast fashion either. They, they care oh, about the quality. Uh, they care about what things are made. They're just yeah. very, much more conscious uh, than I ever was about things in the world at that age. And so, <clears throat> you know, she's interested in finding thrifted stuff. Um, so she's, oh, interesting. she doesn't quite figure it out how the quality of stuff works, but she, you know, in terms of this is high fashion, this isn't, she knows what she likes, she knows her style, but uh, she doesn't want things that she thinks were built in a sweatshop in some third world country. But so, even built, even, yeah, with her friends, her circle of friends are conversing about like, hey, let's be sensitive. You know, is this yes. going to end up in a landfill pretty quickly? Why are we doing this? Yep. It's, it's bizarre. But the other side of it is they will constantly need the instant gratification. So if they find How do you mean that by that? They, 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 if they find something on the internet, they want it there tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Well, that's getting, it's interesting because there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, Amazon and uh, your favorite company, Peloton. Yeah. Um, but maybe there is like a chain there, right? Where you're on your bike and you're like, oh my gosh, Jeff Bezos sends me some athleisure gear. I tap on it and uh, Amazon the next day sends me a new sweatsuit. Is that where we're going to? <clears throat> I think so. I think it's all being interconnected in that instant gratification. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's driven by marketers. They want your dollars as quick as possible. Yeah. <laughs> so they're figuring more ways to get into you. You know, even even the back to the things that kids are doing today, playing video games. That's going to be in the game. There's an outfit you like in Fortnite, and you're going to be able to click on it and buy that. Get get that apparel. Going back so, to wow. that podcast that you mentioned, in the way that they are talking about kind of the second hand, and I know there's there's stores that are or sites that are doing that right now. But be able to trace the lineage of some of the fashion that they're talking about is just amazing. So, you know, I bought this piece of clothing from Sid Mashburn, Billy Reed, um, Ralph Lauren, whatever it is, Gucci. <clears throat> and I'm done with it. I've gotten my use out. of it. It's, it's a quality piece. It's still in good shape. I want to resell it. You actually resell it through their site. Through yeah, that's the, smart. It's, uh, it's very smart. And I think it brings much uh, back to this brand loyalty, things that marketers love. That if you know you want great something from Billy Reed and I want that piece that was from four years ago, I can go to his site and see it there and see the quality of it and get that same customer service that I get from that company. Yeah, and it must help the brand, obviously, too, because then they know where their, right. their product is going and they got some quality control over it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you want, you know, clothes, sometimes they feel better after they've been worn in a bit and have a little bit of uh, texture, a little bit of life to them. Um, you know, one of my favorite jeans companies out of Wales, Hyatt Denim, they're actually running this promo right now, which is pretty interesting, where they have um, different pieces of denim, denim and they're stitching them together in a pair of pants. So it's almost like a patchwork pair of jeans, but 
Otherwise, these so-called scraps of denim would end up in a landfill somewhere. And they're like, hey, why don't we see if we can't put these together? They're totally original. And um, let's make use of every piece of fabric that we have instead of sending it to a landfill. Another interesting development. Yeah, zero waste jeans. That's interesting. Yeah. They also, denim, uh, high denim also has this cool thing too where they have the one-year club where they encourage their users not to wash their jeans for one year, which is also another um, fascinating approach because it's not even um, just the wear and tear, but obviously what happens when we throw stuff into the wash machine and where that ends up. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, I sent you that article. Out of, if you had a chance to read that column about Jeff Bezos, actually, uh, what's the guy's name? He's a columnist for the Financial Times, Robert Armstrong. Why he dresses so bad. Yeah, the title, the title is Why is Jeff Bezos Such a Terrible Dresser? And um, this is like one of the most well most read articles ever on the Financial Times, which uh, is also an interesting uh, side experiment. Maybe they should be covering more fashion. Um, but the headline's great. And, uh, you know, Bezos has gone through such a transformation. And he himself, like Amazon, is really inching their way into fashion. It's a great article to read about. Do you want to say anything about Jeff Bezos' fashion? It's terrible. <laughs> you agree he should stick with the spacesuits focus yeah, on the spa- maybe the uh, cowboy hat was uh like the launching pad to bad, bad fashion yeah see what i did there um about what's happening in your state your favorite the only state. state that matters from the, from the, the heart of it all great shores of lake erie to the flowing waters of the ohio river when are you gonna be mad when are you gonna be what do you mean, governor? So let's yeah. talk about Intel in Ohio. Can you you got a background in economic development? You've done work uh, at the state level, at the county level, at the national level on economic development. Um, for me personally, like I'm sick of people talking about the Rust Belt. They have no idea what's going on in the Great Lakes, the powerhouse uh, economic powerhouse that it is. And this investment to me is like just such a game changer. It's absolutely fantastic. Do you have any insights you can share about Intel in Ohio? What's happening? I mean, the, the biggest thing is the game changer it is. Uh, the fact that they're building another plant in the United States and they chose Ohio to do it is such a game changer. And I don't think really any state has seen such a major investment that could change the dynamics of the state since some of the original Asian automakers came here. And Ohio won one of the first automakers. Uh, Honda moved to Ohio first, uh, being one of the first Asian automakers to come to the states. The impact of being able to, one, build chips in the United States and start competing on that, and then the ancillary things that come from it. I mean, it's just going to be a huge spinoff for all the state. I'm bummed that it's not in Cincinnati, where it's been my hometown for the last 18 years, (laughs) but I think we're going to get spinoff effect from that. Putting a chip plant in the middle of the state to be able to drive more um, of the ancillary people, and then already... Uh, city of New Albany and City of Columbus, where this is, is seeing an additional company start looking for sites. Google wow. wants to be near there. Apple wants to be there. You know, eventually Amazon's going to want. Everybody wants to be near and have an influence on how these chips are made. And um, the impact that everything today, pretty much besides clothing, needs chips inside of them to continue to operate. Uh, yeah. It's pretty amazing of how that's going to through that. And just for our listeners, give us a distance between, like, say, uh, Cleveland and Columbus and Columbus and Cincinnati, about two hours, right? Either way, 90 so, minutes, so two either hours. Either way, about two hours. I mean, yeah. Columbus is dead center in the state, and uh, it's about two hours north to Cleveland and about two hours south 
to Cincinnati. So easy driving distance. You can really get to any point in uh, in Ohio uh, for about two hours from Columbus. You know, the other thing that's great about Ohio is we, we can get to about 60% of the U.S. population, the U.S. wealth, and one day's drive. Yeah, it's so one it's of my very favorite talking location. points. Yeah, eight hours, you got 60% of the U.S. market. It's one of my favorite talking points. Um, I think what's cool, too, is that Columbus has really positioned itself almost as a new Austin, you know. Um, obviously, you've got a great football team at the Ohio State University. Um, you've got the you know, professional sports and the hockey and soccer you get the state government, um, but this investment is just uh, staggering. It, it's really staggering, and it's going to be a multi-decade effect. Yeah, the the <clears throat> the growth that it's going to cause, and the kids that are going to want to come to the state to be there to be a part of it, is really what's driving. I mean, that's what happened. I think in Austin, as you saw, that people want to go there because of the opportunity. I, I'm not completely bought into people are going to want to live wherever the heck they want to live because you can do anything like this through remote learning. I still think place matters and it's going to allow uh, Ohio to really boom because of having that. Well, as somebody who builds stuff for a living, um, yeah, I'm sure you believe in place matters, but no, I think you're right. I think being a part of community and I've always been really interested. I think anytime you have a major university, especially in these, you know, the power five, universities, you know, University of Texas, University of Florida, uh, you know, Michigan, Ohio State. I mean, they are such economic drivers of the community. And you see what happened with Stanford and Silicon Valley. Having a university at that scale with the resource, the research institute, uh, you know, apparatus, the number of students, just the, the number of smart people. You know, we, obviously, I know you spent a lot of time in the Raleigh-Durham area. Um, that kind of economic impact and having a major university at the core seems to be a really good model it, that more and, and more states constantly every year you're getting new smart people moving in right you know people that are young and energetic and want to learn want to provide it's it's a just a, such a driving force um, and how long will it take that, from, other good other areas of the country where people are leaving so these areas that have huge university clusters of great learning just every year have a new chunk. I mean, it's almost a whole new city moving in every year. It's, yeah. I mean, Ohio State's for like 10,000 people. Even the University of Cincinnati is, uh, I think, almost 7,000 students every year moving in. Yeah. How long will it take to get this uh, facility online? It's going to take 18, 24 months? I think it's at least a 24-month build. They've yeah. got to do a huge amount of infrastructure just to get it ready uh, with some water and sewage treatment areas and then physically building the factory. So what other is you yeah your background kind of economic development like what happens in conjunction with that besides like the actual building of the plant um what kind of secondary like entertainment or residential construction will happen will you know will the chilies move in there will there be <laughs> you know i mean are other companies like hey we have to have a presence here too yes i mean i mentioned the other companies that want to be close to it because they want to uh, attach themselves to the technology and what's happening, have it driven to help their com company. But the ancillary investment is will be overwhelming, really, for the area. It's probably going to be a struggle for them to keep up with, get to build new places for people to live, new places for people to eat, new bars for them to go to, new grocery stores for them to shop at. The, it is literally building a new town from scratch. And while it says it's in Columbus, it's really way out in the outskirts of Columbus, um, the city of New Albany actually is annexing cornfields to build this space. So 
everything will need to be built around it. My guess is the bulk of the couple thousand employees that they're going to hire are yeah. not going to be from Ohio. They're going to move new people moving here to, to central Ohio to live and work there. And they're going to have to find all those new things to support them. Do you have any kind of public, um, public transport? I mean, do you see people maybe staying downtown and taking light rail out to the new facility or is it going to be all kind of traditional roads just because it's cheaper and easier? I would love to see that, but I think it's all going to be traditional roads. Yeah. You know, eventually we're just going to get to the point though where you're going to have autonomous driving cars and that's going to take out the need for fixed rail. public. What are you talking about, man? That's That's my view. That's never going to happen. I remember uh, stealing a car when I was, well, I didn't steal a car. (laughs) I took a car out before I had my license and, um, Speaking of cars, as you know, I grew up in Detroit and there was a great stat this week. And if you saw it, I can, I can forward it to you. But the, the parking garage at Detroit Metro Airport is one of the largest parking garages in the world. And Detroit is one of, you know, it's not a huge city. Um, but as you know, you spent time in Detroit and around the industrial Midwest. Everybody in Michigan has a car and the airport is like 40, 50 miles away. So um, and also that airport almost makes like $100 million a year. The airport, in fact, they make more money from parking than I guess they do from flying. Um, but it was just a really interesting, I thought, explanation of, you know, the love of the car in Michigan, lack of public transport. You know, the only way to really get to that airport is by train or by car. Um, so, but I guess you're right. Once it's autonomous, what will happen when it's autonomous and they can't park at the airport? There's no need to park. What does that happen to, to the airport? Drop you off and go. And I think... A lot of these enormous changes are, are really only a generation away. Getting back to, to my daughter, it's not yeah. going to take long for her generation to get up that she'll have no interest in owning her own car. It, back to fast fashion. It's, it's a waste. Why would I want to have something that just sits here and it's not used 95% of the time? Well, driving for me, like I love a good road trip, right? Like getting in, you know, five, six hours, like it's fantastic. But driving commuting 10 miles and taking me 30, 40 minutes. Kind of absurd. It's, it's terrible. Terrible. All right. Let's talk about terrible. The Super Bowl. <laughs> um, I'm interested about it because Stafford being a Detroit Lion. So now there's this whole thing about the Detroit Rams. Everybody in Michigan is rooting for Stanford. You obviously there being in Cincinnati. But also, you know, <clears throat> I'm interested in the commercialization the marketing, uh, the gambling that's going to happen. Um, but tomorrow's the big day. So I, I'll let you go first. Yeah, you can make well, your prediction or we can talk about the commerce and culture. But um, what a day. As a long-suffering Browns fan. <laughs> uh, and you'll continue one, one to the, be a long-suffering. Yeah, one of the few Browns fans that are – I want the Bengals to win. I know lots of Browns fans that love the Bengals to lose. But I love the Bengals to win. It would be great for the city. I, do you have any Bengals, Bengals gear? Do you have any Bengals I, gear? I have no Bengals gear. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they're going to win. That's my prediction. It's probably going to be the largest betting day ever. I think they're going to break all kinds of records for, for sports gambling. Um, the NFL is just an unbelievable juggernaut. For the, the real size and value of that league, I know you've sent around these stats of you know when Microsoft bought uh, Activision and how big that $70 billion was. You could, you know, buy half the NFL or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. just not the impact they have culturally, economically throughout the country and really the globe. It's 
overwhelms the size of the actual business of the NFL. Yeah. Um, the other thing. Yeah, that- they're relatively small businesses. You know, I mean, they're not, yeah. you know, they're worth, teams are worth a few billion dollars, which is a huge number. But there's not, uh, you know, you're spot on. Like the Microsoft Activision thing, that Microsoft buying Activision is a bigger deal economically. But culturally, the Super Bowl is just an absolute, you're spot on, absolute juggernaut. And uh, this one, you know, it being in L.A. is makes it interesting, not only because the Rams have a little bit of a home field advantage, but it's really I don't know that L.A.'s adopted the Rams yet. It's still the St. Louis Rams. So I think the bulk <laughs> of the country is either still likes them as the St. Louis Rams or is going to be rooting for the Bengals because no one cares about the L.A. Rams. Um, and that is definitely the sentimental favorite. There's the no doubt the owner that. of the Rams, you know, not only moving out there for financial incentives, but he sees it as a development project. He, he, you know, the, the team and the stadium are kind of the lost leaders for building all the infrastructure around there to have new economic development happen, to build housing, to build commerce, to build retail, to build office. So that whole park that he's going to control, the, that's where he's going to make his money off of it, not just the SoFi Stadium. Yeah, Cronkite, he also owns the, uh, you know, the Arsenal soccer team yeah. in London. And uh, they too, they're actually one of the first teams in the Premier League to build a state-of-the-art kind of, you know, North American equivalent stadium. And yeah, I mean, the NFL, you play what, I don't know, nine, 10 games at a stadium and, you know, it's a few billion dollars. So you got to find some other ways to develop it. Um, and getting back to the cultural impact, I mean, which you got some famous word that you always throw around, uh, Inter, what's it? What's your famous entertainment? Entertainment. 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 Right. So the whole thing so, is like you got to have a core anchor, but what other ancillary activities can you build around it? Yeah, and and um, you know, I I think sports betting is going to change the dynamic around neighborhoods next to stadiums. Uh, you hit on it. You build these billion dollar stadiums, and they get used ten times a year. You know, maybe you throw a couple concerts and couple of high school state championships or something like that so you, you only get up to 20 games a year yeah but when you start adding gambling it starts adding this sense of anything can happen there i could be there because that's where sports activity happens and i'm gonna yeah. go there and have fun and there's soccer year round there's basketball year round there's baseball half the year those type of things that you can get involved with and so it's still this hub of activity yeah, where the Wizards and the uh, Capitals play here in D.C., there's a William Hill connected to the building. So, um, you know, there's a separate door between the arena and the, in the sports book, but they're connected. So um, fascinating to see that. I mean, I love sports betting. I haven't bet. I haven't used any of these digital apps. I'm, you know, kind of itching tomorrow. Do I drop 25, 50 bucks into that? And I think you're right. There's probably 10 other million Americans are like, yeah, I'm going to drop 50 bucks. I don't care. 25 bucks. Bet on the length some prop bet, you know, on the length of the national anthem. Um, And that adds up, man. If you get 50 bucks from 10 million people, that's not a bad day's worth of business. And I I think taking a little segue from the Super Bowl, but, you know, the sport that's struggling the most in the United States out of this is baseball. Yeah. uh, I think sports gambling is is probably the only thing that's going to really survive, let baseball survive for the long term. How would you bet on baseball? Like in game betting, in, like betting, in betting. I think it's going to make the actual going to the ballpark. Like baseball has eighty-two home games a year. It's a long yeah. season. Long um, season. Attendance is is dwindling, but I think then you, you get folks that'll go there and you hang out and you have a beer and you can bet on 
that game and bet on other things. So you, while you're at the ballpark, you'll be entertaining yourself by not only watching the action on the field, but by gambling at your seat. Yeah, I mean, I I, mean, I find baseball tedious. I was never good at it, um, you know. But, yeah, it's great to go to a ballpark, you know, have a hot dog and a beer. And, I, yeah, I mean, I routinely will do side bets with whoever I'm with, like betting on, like, the pitch. So I'm, obviously, there's betting going on amongst friends and whatnot in the stadium. Um, so, yeah, if the league can codify that, kind of make it proper, make it uh, – if you can bet every pitch, you certainly pay more attention. Um but is this going to be the cultural – is this bad? You know, I don't know. Like tomorrow, speaking of prop bets, like how many crypto ads are we going to see tomorrow? I mean, how many times are we going to see Caesar ads tomorrow? Um, you know, if you watch any kind of English Premier League soccer, it is like nonstop sports betting. In fact, they're wearing, uh, you know, sports betting logos on the jerseys. Um, I don't know. Is this are – are we just selling like old men? Is this, but is this the surreality of the situation? I have a feeling we're just sounding like old men. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, um, it gets back to what we mentioned I, i'm a big believer at the end of the day marketing drives almost everything um they're all trying to market to get get our dollar to make money off of that and so that they're going to overwhelm us with it i mean i think the future we're not going to stop the future of gambling we're not going to stop the future of, of whatever crypto is i don't know that i think crypto everything gets thrown into this term of crypto but we're essentially what it is is we're getting rid of physical currency yeah um, you're just not going to have physical currency everything's going to be electronic yeah and i think like what we saw with prohibition i mean if it's stuff if this activity is happening if humans want to do this stuff we might as well find a way to regulate it tax it make it safe um yep so it's it will be fascinating to see the number i mean I, there's an article here that thinking 100 million americans will bet on the super bowl you know that's a third of our country We'll play some kind of bet, which is staggering to think yeah. about because that most of that, like two, even two, three years ago, uh, wasn't it was happening amongst friends. Now it's being you know organized by these big multinational betting houses. Yeah. What do you it's what's your to, sense about the commercials? A, Go ahead. It's hard to get a third of Americans to do anything. Well, except like the Olive Garden, like everybody likes the Olive Garden, so that, that's probably 50% of America. What's your are you excited for the commercials? Are the commercials played out? What's your verdict on I, that? I am excited for the commercials. Uh, back to uh, marketing fascinates me. I think I'm yeah. not very good at it. Um, so it's interesting to see how how that's going to get put together and gain people's attention. Yeah, uh, It's been, I've purposely this year tried not to look, see any commercials beforehand. You know, now it's this whole, you know, almost a month leading up to the Super Bowl. You're releasing <laughs> yeah. teasers yeah. of the commercial. You're releasing it. They're leaking who the stars are, what ad companies put them together. I think it's, it's an important part of the game, but um, it's an interesting way to see not only who's spending money to do it, as we mentioned, the gambling and the crypto groups that are putting money up for these commercials, but which ones are actually good and will be memorable. I think there's lots of debate afterwards of do you actually remember the brand that's being marketed or do you just remember what the commercial was because it was funny? Yeah, like I've so I've written about this, like, you know, can you name, you know, last year's best Super Bowl ad, you know, nobody can ever name it. And uh, even more direct, like, do you remember GM's ad last year? Yeah. Yeah. So it was the Norway Will Ferrell ad, which I had to yeah. look up. No reason I did that. Cause to your point, GM is like teasing out. They're going to have, um, what's his name? Mike Myers character, um, Dr. Evil play a role. And they've been teasing it out. And, um, 
I have no idea what, how or why this works. So, yeah, we've both done communications and marketing. I've never had the chance to like do a Super Bowl ad, but I would love to know what the hell they're thinking at GM, like how they think Dr. Evil or Will Ferrell is going to propel the company forward and like who approves that, you know, because it's the ad plus it's like the hiring. I mean, it's like a $20, $30 million commitment. Like, I would just love to, I would love to know the psychology of why they think this is like a good idea. It's interesting. State Farm decided, quote unquote, not to do a Super Bowl ad. They're doing some kind of TikTok promotion. Um, but State Farm obviously spends money <laughs> throughout the year around other activities, but they're going right. to do this kind of grassroots user generated content. And they're actually getting buzz for not doing a Super Bowl ad. You know, like that's their, so they're, get, they're benefiting from it. It was getting back to it. I, I would love to know the psychology. Like, does this really work? Do you have to do it because it's ego? You know, I, uh, you, there's, there's can you explain it? Yeah. yeah. A lot of ego involved. You get to, you know, I'm sure you get go out to the game too. There's just excitement around it. It's part of it's a pep rally for your company. Yeah. It, it helps your employees, helps the leadership. Um, you know, getting back to alternative ways, I, I don't, State Farm is going to get as much mileage out of promoting that they're not doing a Super Bowl ad, putting on TikTok. I mean, how many people are going to be sitting watching the game and flipping through their TikTok feed while the game? I would think a lot. I mean, they're probably going to get more exposure from the TikTok ad during the game than they would for their 30 second spot that they'd. I mean, there's no doubt, like the two screen experience is kind of must. Like everybody's, you know, uh, tweeting and talking. Is that how you say it? So you're tweeting, talking um, while you're watching the shows game. my and... age. I, I can't focus enough. Do you say you're TikToking or do you say you're talking? Do you know? Can we look into that? We'll have to have our research team look into that. Yeah. We'll have our uh, cracked research team look into that. Um, what about the halftime show? Uh, also who's... showing, yeah, it's just uh, old school. Do you know who's in the halftime show? great, yeah. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Only because they promoted it in almost every commercial break during yeah. the playoffs. Which is probably uh, the key, right? Like, if you're going to do that, that's probably because before they would just roll out the bands and perform. But you're right. Now it's like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's make it a multi-week effort, multi-month, have a three-act kind of situation, the lead-up, the show, and then the post. But you think it's yeah, going to be a good be, show? I think it's going to be a good show. Getting back to Detroit, how I don't can, know if you saw how this. How can Dre and Snoop Dogg and all Eminem, how can they not put on a good show? Well, Eminem. Let's, like, they brought in the real talent, Eminem from Detroit. That's like, I don't know if you saw, there's a local reporter in Detroit. She tweeted this out after uh, the Rams won. And she's like, with Stafford, you know, Stafford and Eminem in the Super Bowl, this is like the closest the Lions will ever get, or Detroit will ever get to being in the Super Bowl. So it's really a Detroit debt. At the end of the day, Detroit's the winner tomorrow. Let's face it. All right. <clears throat> Let's go to our final segment. You like these cards? Yeah. Good. I love Reading. your I When I get a package, see Mark's handwriting, I know it's going to be good. You thing. know it's me. It's not. It's either me or the Unabomber. Um, all right. What are we reading or watching? You want to go first? I'll go first. I am uh, I'm watching all kinds of uh, – terrible things that have kept me entertained so you know, i heard uh, this new it, phrase i shared this last night it's called dad tv it's like targeted to guys 45 to 55 um 90 of the content is world war ii not surprising <laughs> but there's a legit term now called dad tv dad it was like oh my dad god bot and all that exactly dad jokes. exactly uh speaking of dad jokes peacemaker 
I think that's been my uh, surprise find of the season. What the hell is that? Probably something else that you would find completely offensive. Peacemaker? Why would I find it offensive? (laughs) Should I Google this? I don't know what this is. (laughs) It's John Senna's superhero role. I don't even know who you're talking about. It's on HBO Max. It's one of the first good DC. You lost lost me at uh, HBO Max. Okay. But it's good. Go back. I'm sorry. So it's a television show, The Peacemaker? Television show about the superhero Peacemaker. It's one of the good things that DC Universe has done. I know you're very into the struggles that the DC Cinematic Universe has had compared to the Marvel. I literally have no idea the words are coming out of your mouth. I don't understand anything you're saying. I could better explain a black hole than what you're talking about. Peacemaker, great great show at HBO Max. Uh, Very disappointed in the uh, Book of Boba Fett. Some more Star Wars nerdum. (laughs) Once again, should've what the just, hell are you talking should've about? Should have just gone with uh, speeding up the Mandalorian. Where's um, the book? Where can you get the book of Boba Fett? Book of Boba Fett's on Disney Plus, where all the Star Wars universe is. Now that Disney owns all that, uh, also disappointed, but I'll see it through. Raised by Raised by Wolves on HBO Max started last week. Ridley Scott's uh, sci-fi space adventure. First season was very good. Second season's uh, not holding up so far. A couple episodes in. Why? So I got into a thing where I'm not afraid to walk away from shows. Like, I don't have time See, I anymore. I can't do that. There's I very like, few that I've walked away from. I stopped watching Secession. Like, I was just like, okay, I get it. You know, you meet yeah, up every yeah, week and sit in the end. same room. And I, I don't know. I've done it. I'm happy. And then, um, so yeah, these three shows, I literally have no idea what the hell you're talking about. They sound fascinating. But to give you a sense of what I did last weekend, I watched a six-hour George C. Scott interpretation, Mussolini, The Untold Story. What's great about this, um, it was shot in 1985. It's a classic <laughs> made-for-television movie. Um, but getting back to uh, Dad TV and World War II, I didn't know anything about Mussolini, so I committed. I went down to this Black Hole. There's not a lot of good uh, Mussolini content, sadly, on the uh, not as much as some of the other evildoers in the world. Um, so I watched it. It was pretty good. Robert, Robert, amazing. This is 85. Robert Downey Jr. is in it. He plays Mussolini's wow. son. Uh, Raul Julia, Gabriel Byrne. Um, it's an amazing cast. Anyway, so wow. that's what I did last week. George C. Scott good. is Mussolini. George C. Scott was Mussolini, and he played this role uh, 15 years after he was, uh, you know, Patton, fascinating as Patton. So that was in 1970. This was in 85. You can catch it on Amazon Prime. It's um, slow, you know. The 80s were a time for slow entertainment. The pace is much more relaxed. But I don't know, pretty good. If you want a a cliff note version on Mussolini, the Duce. Um, I've been listening to this great pod, and I know you're a comedian. Yeah. Have improv training. Um, and we've been talking a lot about SNL. There's a great new pod by Dana Carvey and David Spade called Fly in the Wall. And they basically interview kind of their former castmates, former hosts, people that have been in kind of the SNL universe. And um, it's great. They're telling old time stories, uh, revealing obviously the trials and tribulations of putting that show together every week. Um, also, like Carvey and Spade, you know, powerhouse no joke like very talented but not maybe the success of like a chris rock or eddie murphy um and also even i'm um, personally talking about 
how do you struggle once you like been on the show and you are the church lady and then you get left to your own devices, you know, how do you rebuild your career? So a bit of entrepreneurship, great stuff about communications, um, but great interviews. I've already, they've talked to Chris Rock, Conan O'Brien, Tom Hanks, Daryl Hammond. So if you love comedy, if you love writing, um, if you love SNL, it's a really good pod. And you can listen at two at X, which is now my new favorite thing. I can't really oh, listen to anything at one X. So two X should be done. You can be done in uh, 20 minutes with a good episode. SNL is having a revival, I think. It's an amazing product. What happens, uh, how much longer does Lauren stay in that job? I don't know. It's crazy. And it seems like he is still so actively involved in how the show gets put together. He is at the forefront of it. He's producing the other shows. He's also doing movies. Um, He just won a Kennedy Award. It's in the 70s. I don't know. I think he probably wants to stay through maybe to the 50th anniversary. Is that possible? I don't know. Where are we at? Are we in season 45? 40, 40. No, this might be 47. Yeah. So maybe he wants to do three, four more years. The, this friend. show, actually, this fly in the wall pod is really great because uh, the host comes in on Monday. They pitch him a lot of ideas and they write it up, you know, basically on Tuesday. So they have Wednesday, Thursday to do stuff, prep on Friday. They do a dry run on Saturday, and they're literally even changing the script up until, you know, they go live at 1130. So just talking about that and um, the mechanics of, like, not peaking too early in the week, you know, because you want to, like, deliver your best stuff at 1130. Yeah, Yeah, live on Saturday night. The end of the week. And um, just, like, the struggle to come up with new ideas. And even um, because they were talking to Hanks, and Hanks has done the show a few times. And Hanks yep. was kind of wise to them because when you first show up, you know, they're like throwing out like random ideas. So, you know, you're a bartender and you speak Spanish and, you know, because they're just, they have no idea what the hell they want to write about. And they're just kind of spitballing ideas. So Hanks was even, you know, by the time I did this three or four times, I knew like these pitches were complete jokes or, you know, because they're struggling every week to come up with new ideas. They're competing with each other and it's a really fascinating environment. But I think you're right. SNL's having a real revival. I use it. Especially for me as a communicator, I use Weekend Update as a really good touchdown. If stuff cracks through to the Weekend Update, you know it's like gone national. Like it's a big did, issue. Did like, that that segment convince you to switch over to iPhone? It's funny you bring that up because absolutely not. It may be even more committed okay. for people who aren't following the story. This is a few weeks ago, Google Android, which I love and use. Um, was saying, hey, Apple, be nice to us. You know, you're making our uh, Android users second-class citizens because apparently when I send texts to my fancy friends that use Apple, you know, I get some weird uh, – it basically – it labels me. I'm labeled. It, I'm wearing a scarlet well, not only labels you and then on group text, it, it screws up every group text. Yeah, I can never comment in real time. So that's always a disaster. Uh, I'm totally os- – yeah, I am os- oscillated. That's not the word. I am ostracized. In group text for sure. Um, but it made it to SNL, you know. So we can update Colin Jost to the joke about it. So yeah, that's a that's I think that's what's interesting about SNL, how they find some weird story like that that maybe only a handful of people know and they turn it into a joke. But the fact that it went national made SNL weekend update, it's a real thing. Yes. I, I think uh, the other thing which is my I brought my daughter a lot into this since she was fascinated by me setting up for this uh, conversation this morning. She's gotten into SNL, and I it it's a direct result of YouTube and and TikTok. It it fits perfectly for that format. It's not I need to stay up on Sunday at eleven thirty or Saturday night eleven thirty. It's I can see it anytime, and I kind of think find what's funny and what's going on throughout the world. I think you're yeah the ability to kind of do stuff for viral, make it interest 
you know, make it acceptable on the smartphone. I don't, do you know this guy, Ross Atkins? He's a, a news host out of, NBC, out of uh, the BBC. He does a show called Outside the Lines. He does these great kind of four or five minute explainers every show. Not every show, but a few times a week. And um, I saw him speak recently. And he basically said, we can't do a television show. We've got to do a show that's like digitally friendly. And he really put the time and effort in to say, hey, how do we make this stuff work digitally? And he works with experts in that space. You know, for a long time, people would record stuff and just give it to kind of quote the digital people, have them make, you know, hey, can you use this? As opposed to being digital first and digital friendly. And um, even Stern, like, does great stuff, like putting out two, three-minute clips of his show. Yeah. Smart. For this show, we won't be that smart. We're going to yeah. top all just go on. 45 minutes <laughs> on our listeners um, to the seven listeners we got out there. And uh, no, we're not going to break this up. This is not digitally friendly, not handheld friendly at all. Not we're going the other way. Oh, if we could do this grumpy? with in, by paper, it'd be even better. The grumpy middle-aged men podcast. We've so we're coming up in uh, 40 minutes. You think? I mean, I think this is pretty good. I mean, I don't know if you want to do great. like, uh, you know, uh, I saw Joe Rogan interviewed Jordan Peterson for almost four hours, which is amazing. Yeah. Four hours seems like a long time. Seems like a long time. (laughs) Yeah. I'll do anything for four hours. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. We'll see you. uh, What's today's date? The 12th. So we're going to see you, uh, what, on the 26th? Two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Um, It'll be a new world. Cincinnati Bengals. You really think they're going to get it done tomorrow? World champs, yes. Close game, thirty-one twenty-eight or close close game, quite a shootout. I think. I mean, it's, it's, it's we, the NFL. I mean, it, it couldn't have written a better script for all the playoff games. A lot of gunslingers. Uh, a lot of gunslingers. A lot of overtimes. Went in. Are you gonna place any bets? I'm not gonna place any bets. No bets. Should no we bet. place a bet? Friendly bet. Sure. Let's place Good. a chili bet. If uh, when the Rams win, you buy me. Lunch skyline, and the Bengals win. I buy you lunch at uh, Lafayette Coney Dog in Detroit. The original Coney Dog. That sounds yeah. good. So we both win. It doesn't matter. We both, we both get chili. Chili for either. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks, Mark.